from 2 Timothy chapter 3. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I was saying, I'm Cam. If I haven't met you, I'd love to um, I first off, just want to say I am so, uh, yeah, just so thankful for this church, thankful for you guys. We, uh, we love you. A couple, couple years ago, Kayla and I were really considering a couple different options of where to go with our life, considering moving other places and doing a couple different things. It's like, how do you preach when you can just hear your kid laughing in the back? <laughs> Is she laughing at me? I don't know. Um, it wouldn't be the first time. Um, but we were really considering, like, what do we want to do with our life? Where do we want to go? And uh, to be honest, it was, it was getting plugged into this community that has rooted us in Columbia. So we love this city. We love this church. Um, we just are so, we're overwhelmed with thankfulness and gratitude for you. Um, it's, you, you, you usually skip like the first parts of all of Paul's letters that he writes to all these people. And he's just like, my heart is overflowing with gratitude for you. And I never really understood that until I've really gotten plugged in to this church. And we, so we love that. We feel that. Um, I read those words differently on the scriptures now. So we do. We love you. We're so excited. I would say though, I'm technically not on staff yet. So I'm still like clear. So like today is still volunteer, like no judgment today. Okay, I'm still in that zone. Okay, till July, no judgment today still. And I say that because my task for this morning is to preach on why we should love the Bible. Um, And I've had a couple people ask me, Cam, what are you preaching on this weekend? I'm like, the Bible. And they're like, that's great, man. That's good. Uh, the Bible, like, but what do you mean? I'm like, no, I'm like preaching on the Bible, like why we should read the Bible. And they're like, oh, well, pray for you. So <laughs> no, no pressure today, but we're going to talk about God's word and why we should love God's word. Um, but we are going to need to just ask the Holy Spirit to help us to do that this morning. So I'm going to pray. If you would, would you pray with me? And then we'll get into it. Father, we, um, we come to you this morning just, just with thankfulness. We aren't entitled to anything. Um, but all of this we received as a gift from you. I even just feel an extra sense to just to pray, uh, help us just to be in the moment. Right right now, this is all we've got. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own, but would you just help us by the power of your spirit just to be here in this moment today. Open our ears and open our hearts just to hear from you. Would you take this this book that we're talking about and would you breathe life into it? We're gonna talk about how it's a living active book, but would you, would you make it alive? Would you breathe on it this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have to say, uh, when I was in high school was the first time I ever went to one, and it was a Bible study, okay? The first time I ever went to a Bible study was when I was in high school. I had a couple of buddies who invited me, and I remember we were sitting around the circle, and um, they were kind of, the, for lack of a better term, they were some kind of dorky Christian guys, and I was like, I love you guys, man, but they I think they were trying to make a joke towards me, but I didn't really catch it. And they were like, hey, Cam, who wrote James? And I was like, like the book of James? I was like, I don't know, wrote God? Like I, had no, like, I had no idea, right? Like, it was my first Bible study ever. And I remember them, like, they started just dying laughing, like belly laughing, which is, first off, if you belly laugh at a Bible joke, like, right away, it's like, I don't know. All right. 
But they, they start dying laughing at me. And I'm like, man, I kind of laugh with them. But I, I remember it was funny in the moment, but I remember even leaving and going to my car being like this, I don't think this is for me. And the insecurity that I felt approaching this book, feeling like I, I, I didn't know that this was a book written by multiple authors inspired by the Holy Spirit. Like I had, no, I, I had none of that. And I felt this deep insecurity and fear and shame around the book. And it, it created a distance and a separation in my relationship with it. When I was in college, I I ended up getting plugged in with the community and um, had a radical experience and encounter with God that, that really fueled my love for God's word. But th- this, this love for God's word, it turned into this love for theology, which turned into this love for theological discussions, which then turned its way into uh, a love for being right. You know, I didn't expect the laughs there, but all right, <laughs> that was serious. Okay. Um, but I remember going to, this is also a change in my life here. Um, I, I, went to, I would go on every Friday night to this coffee shop and there'd be these like the, theological discussions that this pastor would lead. It's like, that's really wanted to hang out with Cam in college. Um, but I'd go to this thing and we'd always just talk about different things, different theological topics. And um, I was just like really passionate. I'd read like half of a, half a book and I just thought I knew everything. So I was like really excited. And I remember going to this, to this, this breakdown and this discussion and they were talking about... Um, was the world actually created in seven days? And they were having these different points going back and forth. And um, I, I remember just being really zealous and excited and being, I was super dramatic. And I remember closing my Bible. Hey, we're good. All right. All right. Sorry. All right. Are we all right? really get it in there. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. I remember, I shouldn't slam the book that that loud, I guess. I remember closing my Bible, raising my hand, opening my Bible and saying, it says what it says. Stop trying to be so cute. You're like that guy. But I remember, like, it was funny, but I remember the dialogue closing. I remember it didn't continue the conversation, but it stopped the conversation. And, I, and I, still, I still carry some of that. I still carry some of that, that, that this, this attempt to master the book rather than being mastered by it. I, I think of 1 Corinthians when it says that knowledge, it puffs up, but love, it builds up. And I, and I fell in love, not with the Bible or the scriptures or even God, but I fell in love with being right, with having my ideas be the right ideas. I was reading this earlier this week and, and, and this author, he says, if you're reading of the Bible does not result in greater love of God and neighbor than you do not understand what you've read. We must approach the Bible with an attitude of love for God and neighbor. And the result of our reading should be evident in our love of God and neighbor. And that, that wasn't true of me when I was in college. I had this zealous phase where I just wanted to be right all the time. And then I started doing full-time ministry. I, I actually got paid to read the Bible and, and talk about the Bible. And it was so immersed in my life that it was just part of what I did. And it kind of started to lose its power that which I, I just woke up so hungry and excited to read. It just kind of, it, it, it kind of was like the mountains that I grew up with in Colorado. Like they were, they're beautiful, but I see them every single day. Like it's not that big of a deal. But when people go and they see Colorado, they're like, we're moving here right now because it's so beautiful. But it lost its power. I'd seen it so many times that again and again and again that I just kind of stopped seeing it. And, and, and it, it created this dryness and this um, weariness. And I, I just, I didn't connect like I once did. And I say all that to say that I have a relationship with the Bible and so do you. 
And we all come in here with our own stories and unique connections and unique insecurities and fears and shame and pride and ego as we approach the Bible. We all have our own story. You do, and so do I. And so this morning, whether you are like on fire right now, like you're just crushing it, Bible in a year, you're like five months down, boy, seven to go, we're rolling. If that's you, or you miss those days, or you had those days and you look back and it's like a long lost college roommate that you had some great memories and great experiences and great times with, but you look back and you say, ah, I just I have this longing in my soul just to get that back. Wherever you're at this morning, or, or I know we have people in this church who have literally bought their first Bible ever and they're just so excited, but then they re- open it up and it's like 1700 pages, depending on the version or translation that you have. And you're like, this thing is overwhelming and intimidating. And there's some of us that, We love Jesus. We love worship. We love hearing preachers talk about Jesus. But for me to connect with this book, it just feels way too difficult, way too challenging. So my hope for this morning is that we would, as a a community, as a collective group of people and as individuals, take our next step in learning to love God's word. It's a gift to us. And a lot of the time it's our own brokenness in relationship to it that hinders it, not actually the book itself. So we're going to talk about God's word today. And we're going to kind of, if you're note people today, I'm not a big note guy, but if you are, this is for you. We're going to talk about how the word is truth, how the word is all about Jesus and how the word is meant to be experienced. So one, the word is truth. And my favorite definition for truth is this, it's God's reality. See God's word that doesn't actually show up and teach us how to pull God deeper into our lives, but it actually, it actually pulls us out of our delusional life and draws us into reality. It's an invitation to participate in God's story, not just to enhance ours. And it's what the passage is actually pulling on here, right? He starts with this. He says, hey, Timothy, there are people out there. There are ideologies out there. There are, there are narratives and stories and things that people are saying, even using the Bible and not using the Bible that are deceptive. Right, he says this in verse 13, he says, imposters will go from bad to worse, from deceiving and then being deceived. He says this, we are susceptible to deception, right? And you know this. I mean, there, there's really, there's like two types of people in the world, right? My, my wife and I, we're about to go on a, on a road trip to Ohio, right? Like literally right after church. And there's two types of people in the world. They're the people who will have the GPS up the entire time and they will follow the GPS and they will have it up. That's, that's how I am. I like to call those uh, the smart people, okay? The people who, uh, they just, they're wise. I don't know. Um, they, they use their brains. I'm not, too, too far. Um, and there's another type of people who like to trust their intuition. They're like, let me just, I think I got it, you know? It's pretty easy. It's like three turns. And that's, that's my, that, I love her, but that's my wife, okay? She's a little overconfident in her internal GPS, Right? Um, I remember the first time she ever drove to Colorado. She's like, it's pretty easy, right? It's like I-70, you take like three turns and then you just, you're there. And then she looks up and she's in Nebraska. And I'm like, babe, how did you end up in Nebraska? Like that is not at all in the route, right? Now it's kind of a joke, but, but we, we can be deceived, right? We, we all have that. We have, this, we, we have this desire, this vision for where we want to go, but the steps in which that we get there, they can be totally off. We can have things that are, that are, that are deceiving us. We're prone to do this on roads, but how much more in life? To think that we're living the life that we want, that we have the things that we want, that we're dreaming the dreams that we want. And all of it is actually not being led by or immersed in the person and the teachings of Jesus. 
And we have to be aware of this, the, the, the stuff that's in us, our own desires, our own heart, right? That's what Jeremiah says. He says, the heart above all else is wicked and deceitful above, above all things. Who, who can know it? We have to be aware that our heart wants things that are not in line with, with, with what's good for us. The cultural narratives that are contrary to Jesus and his way, we have to be aware of them. We have to be aware that there's a spiritual enemy, Satan, literally translated the deceiver, who prowls around like a lion, seeing whom he may devour, who he might deceive. Jesus, he, he called him the father of lies. And that's actually who we see him to be on the first pages of scriptures, right? He, he comes in as a liar, a deceiver. And most of the time it's, it's subtle. And as it was, even in the garden, right? We, we, see, we see God make everything. He, he creates everything out of the overflow of his love and generosity. And he creates men and women in his own image. He gives them a purpose to be fruitful and multiply, to rule and to reign over his creation. He sets them up for success, but then he gives them one restraint, right? You know the story. He says, don't, don't, eat, from, don't eat from that tree or you'll surely die. And then this creature, he plunges into the scene. He plunges into the story, the devil, Satan, the serpent. And all he says, it's crazy. They want to see the first satanic attack in the Bible. He says this, did God really say, did God really say that you'll surely die if you eat from that tree? I love this Dallas Willard. He says, he says, the devil came at Eve, not with a stick, but with an idea. Isn't that crazy? The first attack from the devil in the scriptures, all it is, is an implanted idea. It was just an idea. And that's, that's how he attacks us because he knows that at the core, that is what drives us is our ideas. And he attacks what God says. Because we are primarily formed through ideas. It's ideas that form who we are. Ideas are the primary force that help us believe what we believe. And the basis to what we believe, what we actually believe, not just what we say what we believe, but what we actually believe is actually what drives us to live the way that we live. It's our ideas. And Paul's charge to Timothy in all of this, right? He says this, continue in what you've learned. Don't be deceived. Stay acquainted with the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation, for freedom, for healing, through faith in Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. He's saying, Timothy, or he would say to us today, to avoid being deceived, stay tethered to the scriptures, stay tight, hold tightly, cling to God's word, which is able to teach you and train you and correct you and rebuke you. It's, it's the thing that helps you to be all that you were made to be. Stay tight to the scriptures, for they come from God and he is the truth and he will teach you and he will correct you. Has anybody seen Inception in here? It's an oldie, but a goodie. Oldie, but confusy. It's, it's like, I don't really get it, you know? It's like today, like I'm preaching on the Bible within the Bible. It's like Inception of the Bible, you know? I just thought of that. It's like Meta Bible. Um, it's, that's, that's how confusing it is, right? But, but in, this, in this story, right, there's, there's the main character. His name's Dom Cobb, aka Leo, right? Leonardo DiCaprio, he plays this guy named Dom Cobb. And he has this kind of like rare ability to enter into people's dreams, and he tries to plant subtle ideas. That's kind of what he's trying to do to, to, to make them make huge different decisions. But sometimes he gets lost in the dream because the dream becomes so real to them that they actually don't know. They don't know what's reality, what's a dream. And they get lost and they have this thing. Do you guys remember what it is? They have the top, little top, and they would spin the top. And the reason they would spin the top is every time that they were in a dream, the top, it wouldn't stop. It would just spin and spin and spin and spin. And they would remember, okay, okay, we're in a dream. But if the top spun and spun and spun and then drop down like a top should, 
they would know, okay, we are, we're in real life now. We're in reality. And that's kind of what Paul is saying to Timothy right here. He's saying, you, you need an objective standard outside of yourself, like Dom Cobb's top. You need a standard, you need an objective standard outside of yourself to tell yourself what reality actually is. And that's what the word is. It is truth. It pulls us into God's reality. It aligns us with how things actually are. And we are, we, we are prone to being deceived. We can live lives literally right now that are just delusional. We think we're doing the right things, but unless we're tethered to God's word, we are susceptible to being completely and utterly deceived. God's word is truth. That's why the passage said, all scripture is God breathed, useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of correcting and rebuking, especially teaching, training, those ones are a little bit nicer, but correcting and rebuking, I don't know what comes to your mind. But often instead of freedom, what comes is, is shame. Instead of hearing correction with a gentle tone, we, we, we hear it with condemnation and, sh- and, and shame. Rather than a gentle guiding hand, it's, it's a finger pointing at us for what we need to fix. So what does it actually mean? That's what I want to talk about for a second. What does it actually mean to be corrected by God's word? What does it mean to be corrected by God's word? Is it, is it just for like the college kid who's getting drunk every weekend and then he stumbles across Ephesians 5? And it's like, oh, I shouldn't get drunk with wine anymore. I should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Got it, check, got it, right? Like rebuked, consider myself rebuked and corrected by the Bible, right? Is that it? Sure, absolutely. Or I remember like discipling this guy in college, like I would meet with him all the time, but I knew he was still sleeping with his girlfriend. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to have the talk, you know, the dreaded purity talk. Like, hey bro, now that you love Jesus, like this isn't for your good. This isn't the best thing for you. Um, But I remember he showed up at this meeting. He said, hey man, I've been reading... It says a lot about sexual immorality in here. And I actually don't think that's what God, that's what like is is best for me and for my life anymore. And I want to trust God. And I think, uh, you know, me and my girl, we're going to kind of try to slow that down a little bit. And I was like, wow, thank you, living word. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, thank you. Praise God. I didn't have to have that talk. Um, Right. Is that it? So is that being corrected by the Bible? Like, is that what it is? Absolutely. For sure. It's not less than that, but I'd say it's, it's also more than that. See the word correction here, it actually carries this connotation of restoration so, so, so the word, both it rebukes us, but it also restores us. It challenges us, but it also, it comforts us. It's also, correction is also for the striving, performing achiever who feels like they're never enough. They always need to do more. They need to be more. They need to make a name for themselves. And it's the correcting truth, the correcting word of God that says, now be still. You're not God, I'm God. You don't have to prove anything. You can be still in my presence. It's that correcting word of God, or it's, it's for the, the chronically anxious, the, the controlling ones who do their best to keep everything in order. It's the loving, gentle correction of God's word that through Jesus' word says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Then he says this, look at the birds of the air. They don't, they don't sow or reap or store away in any in barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them, doesn't he? It's the correcting word of God. It corrects us. It gets to our hearts. It doesn't just correct our behaviors, but it gets beneath the surface. It's, it's for the overworked and the exhausted who need to be corrected on where real rest is found. That it's not found in a great nap or some more Netflix or some binge series that real rest is found in Jesus. It's that correcting, gentle, loving invitation to a deeper, more fill, fulfilled life. With God, it's the correction of God's word. And all these things, what they do is they pull us back into reality. They reorient our thinking. I mean, isn't that what Romans 12 says? It says, 
that we're transformed, that we're made more like Jesus, that we become all that God made us to be by the renewing of our minds. And the scriptures is how we do that. It's, it renews our thinking. It, it renews it. It makes it new again. It orients it around, around God and his creation and his reality. So, so is the Bible a, a guideline or, a, or just a reorienting source to align my thinking? The objective truth? Absolutely. And it's deeper than that too. It reorients everything. It gets deep beneath us to get out to our real beliefs and what we value and what we love. But it's also more than that. See, speaking of roads, right? And, and, and maps. Um, the, the disciples, they have this moment with Jesus where they, they kind of pull them aside and they're like, hey, where are we going? <laughs> and they're like, we've been doing a lot of stuff here. Like, what's next? Like, wh- what's the way to go? Which, which way are we going? And Jesus, he, he does like a real Jesus thing. He gives a Jesus answer where he says, well, I'm the way and I'm the truth and I'm the life. And he says, no one comes to the father except through me. See, Jesus, he says that, that he is the truth, the living truth. He says that you, you are actually to interpret reality through me. It's objective truth, but it's actually more than that. It's a living truth. It's, it's a person. It's, it's Jesus. It's, it's reorienting ourselves to him. It's why when his invitation to his followers, it's this, it's come follow me, not come figure me out. It's an invitation to relationship with a person. And that is the point of the scriptures through and through it's to point us to Jesus. From Revelation, from Genesis to Revelation, it all points us to him. The training, the correcting, the rebuking, the restoring, the realigning with the good news of Jesus is all to produce the character of Jesus, to align us with his gaze and see us as, as he sees us and see the world as he sees the world and see God as he sees God. It's all to align us with Jesus. The word is all about Jesus. In John 5, Jesus says this in the middle of confronting and rebuking some Pharisees. He says this, he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in the scriptures that you will find eternal life. Then he says this, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. He says, study, search for answers, but it's not about the answers. It's about me. The scriptures are about me, yet you don't come to me. Meaning that we can read our Bibles, that we can look for all the answers in there, that we can get all of the guidelines. But if we miss Jesus, we miss everything because it's all to be interpreted through him. Or the author of Hebrews, he says it like this. He says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in many various ways. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He says, in the days of old, God spoke to us through the prophets and the law, but now he speaks to us through Jesus, through his son, who is the radiance and the glory of God and who right now is sustaining and holding all things by the word of his power. Or one more. See, we see this story in in Luke where um, Jesus, there's these two guys, these two disciples who've been following Jesus. They're on on this road and they're going from one place to another. Jesus had just been the, the one who they thought was gonna redeem them and set them free. He had just been crucified. He'd been killed and they're, they're, they're down, they're, they're downcast. They're, they thought all hope is lost and they're wandering to this place. And it says this guy kind of pops up. It's Jesus, a little spoiler alert, okay? But he walks up and they don't recognize who he is. And they start talking to him. And he's like, what's going on guys? And like, have you not heard, bro? Like, do you live under a rock? Like that Jesus guy that everybody's been talking about, he died. He wasn't who we thought he was gonna be. And Jesus is walking with them and he goes, is that right? 
All right. No kidding. That's crazy, man. Well, and then he goes, he listens to their whole spiel. And then he goes, well, you know, that's kind of what was expected, right? Haven't you read? And he says this, this is what Jesus says to them. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things to enter into glory? He says, and then, and then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was in all the scriptures concerning himself. Isn't that beautiful? Like you want to see what Bible study with Jesus is? It's this, it's, it's him listening, being present, and then pointing everything back to himself. It says, beginning with, the, with Moses, the, the law and the prophets, he explained all that it was concerning about himself. Bible study methods, 101 with Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about him. And this is the purpose of the Bible. It's what makes it different than textbooks. It's what makes it different than rule books or an informational blog post. Because it's about a person who is the living word. In John 1, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus himself is the living word. This is not just a textbook, but it is an alive living document. Hebrews 4 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow concerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's why Jesus, he says this in his teachings, right? He says this on the life and joy in the kingdom of God. He says, if you abide in my word, then you will be my disciples. See, to abide in something is to make your home in something. And that has deep implications that are primarily relational. This book is to be related to and experienced. It's author Rob Reamer, he says this, every time we pick up the Bible, we are one Holy Spirit breath away from a fresh encounter with God. It is God-breathed, inspired by God. But it's also more than that, but the breath of God in this passage, it is, it is drawing our attention to the Spirit of God. It, it, it is reflective of, of in Genesis 2, when God creates humanity, and he breathes life into us. There's this closeness. Or, it, or, or, or even when Moses, when he, when he talks to God face to face, as if one friend to another, there's this mouth to mouth, face to face intimacy, breath of God that we are supposed to be experiencing and connected to. The breath of God infers the spirit of God, which means this book is breathed by the Holy Spirit. Again, he says this, when the spirit breathes on a word in scripture, it stirs within you, it leaps off the page at you and it stirs in the moment that God is here, that God is coming. Even in one of Jesus's primary teachings on the Holy Spirit, he says this, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He, the Holy Spirit lights up what is actually true. So I'm gonna give away some practicals here in a second, but, but one of the easiest practicals on how to read the scriptures or how to read the Bible, it is breathed by the Holy Spirit, is to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to interpret it. That's what he wants to do. Someday, I'm hoping, I'm really trying to, I'm really trying to groom my, my, young, my young Mav, my son, right, to, to love golf, okay? I'm trying. We, take, we go out to the par three course and I'd sit him in there and I'd take a couple clubs out and I'm just trying to hit balls at him and I talk to him and I say, hey, buddy, did you like that shot? I love you, bro. Come on. Um, sometimes I forget to put sunscreen on him and he gets burnt from like head to toe and he has to crawl around on his toes and not on his knees because he got sunburned. That happens too sometimes. But nonetheless, <laughs> it's like, I thought we were a community here. Can we be honest with one another? <laughs> Like, oh my gosh, the judgment. It's ridiculous. Um, but someday, I'm hoping someday Mav will come up to me and he'll say, hey, dad, will you teach me how to putt a ball? Will you teach me how to chip? And you know, you know how eager I am gonna be to say, absolutely. I can't wait to answer that, that request, right? 
Because when you know something more than somebody and it's like your deepest passion, oh my gosh, ask me all day. I got all the energy all the time in the world, son. I don't care if I've been working for 60 straight hours. We can go putt all day. And can I say the Holy Spirit, he knows, he, 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 he wrote the book. He breathed the book. And if there's one prayer the Holy Spirit is longing to answer, it's to, it's to remind you of all truth. It's to reveal what is the word of God, what is real to you. And, by, and so much of the time what we do, I'll get into this in a second, but so much of the time what we do is we, we, we compartmentalize it. We read it, we get the information, and then we go pray. And we separate the two. But it is, but it is a relational experience. We're to invite the Holy Spirit into our reading. He is the one that breathed the, the words onto the page. He's the one that even as we pray, we say, God, make this book come alive. It was written 2000 years ago, but it has some way of piercing my heart right here, right now. It can do it. And we ask the Holy Spirit to do it in us. I got off my notes there for a second. Sorry. Start talking about Mav and golf and you just get rolling, you know? Oh man. Anyways. So how do we do this? How, how, do, we, how do we take this book that is primarily one of the hardest things to do is just take it from information to transformation. That it's not just a book of content, but it's a book that ha- can transform us, that we can relate to it and, 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 and experience it. And one is that we, we meditate on it. See, we have to understand, um, I, I was reading this book called in, Enjoying the Bible in, in Prep, okay? Because I'm like, let's enjoy the Bible together. But, but, but this author, he's an he's a English scholar, and he says this. He says, one of the hardest things for us to understand the Bible is that most of us, all we do is we read like nonfiction, he says, if we don't have an understanding of poetry and an understanding of narrative and fiction writing, it's really hard for us to understand the Bible because the Bible is written there as absolutely just information and facts, but so much of it is, is immersed in poetic language. It's immersed in narrative and story language. Like Psalm 23 is actually, a, it's, it's a poem that's meant to be experienced. It's not just something that we're supposed to take and apply it, Right? It's not like, okay, I take my notes. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. Okay, got it, check. God's my shepherd. I got everything I need. It's like, how's that working for you? Are you still anxious? Are you still stressed out? I thought you knew it. You read the book, right? Don't you know it? <laughs> the Lord's your shepherd, right? But it's deeper than that. See, poetry, and I'm learning this too, but poetry is not meant to be learned. Poetry is meant to be experienced. It's meant to wash over you. When you hear a song, you're not thinking about the lyrics. Like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. I love that. Sometimes we do, we, we, we sing theologically rich songs, right? But, but over, overall, we, we, we experience music, right? We don't, we, don't just, we don't just learn about it. We're to experience the scriptures by, by meditating on it, by sitting in it. And even this word meditate, sometimes it's the, the language is a little bit too tame, right? Like in Psalm 1, when it says that we meditate on um, the law day and night, that we delight in God's word. Because in, in Isaiah chapter 31, he actually uses the same exact word, which is the Hebrew word is, is Hagar, okay? Or Haga, either one, I don't really, I don't really know. You, you choose, okay? And, and, and it's actually used with a lion and his prey. That we are, we are meant, to, we're meant to eat God's word. We're meant to sit around it and get every last bit out of it. Um, I've had to change in my eating style a little bit, okay? I remember my first ever time that I, that I hung out with a KC guy and he had wings. And he was just disgusted by me. He was like, bro, you left so much meat on the bone. Like, have you ever eaten a wing in your life? And I'm like, I thought I had, I guess not, right? Because when you eat wings, you're not supposed to just, oh, next one, next one, next one. You're supposed to get off every little meat off the bone, right? You, you get all of that you can. Marriage is a great gift to us. It's like, there's a smooth transition. Um, 
But one of the things that Kayla's, oh my, it is guys, seriously, the guys in the house, you, you upgrade in just about every single way, right? Like roommates, way better, okay? It's like you're clean, all this stuff. You also get these like social cues in real time. Because I've had a really bad habit over my life to just like scarf food. I don't know what it is. Usually it's like, oh, you must be like one of 12 kids and you had to fight. I'm like, no, I, I have two siblings. Like, I don't know why I am the way that I am. I just eat so fast. Like if you get a burger in front of me, it's like, Cam, I didn't even see the burger. I saw it whole and I saw it gone. Like, that's it. Okay, I've got a problem. And Kayla will kick me under the table, like slow, like especially when we're with people, like slow down. You're making them uncomfortable. Like, <laughs> we're here about the people. It's not about the food. I'm like, sorry, right? But don't we do that sometimes? That, that's, that's what, it, it, we are not meant to just scarf this down. It's not like a Mike and Ike. We're, if we're talking candy here, it's not like a Mike and Ike. You just keep popping them. It's actually meant to be like, like a big lollipop that just dissolves into your tongue that slowly but surely, it just gets inside of you. Most of the time we stay in our brains and the information because we just pop it back and here it is. There's a fact, there's some information, but it's actually meant to be sat in, to be meditated on, to be devoured, to be literally eaten. So it gets inside of you and then transforms you, right? When you eat something, it gets inside of you and it gives you energy to keep going, to do what you're supposed to do. The caloric intake of food is why we can walk around. That is what this is meant to be. We're meant to eat it. It's meant to get inside of us. And it's meant, to be, it's, meant to, it's meant to change and transform everything about us. And even consider this. Consider your posture as you read. Are you scoured over it, just studying it, ripping it apart? Or every once in a while, do you sit with your, with your back against the wall, having two or three words just reminate in your mind as you take deep breaths and consider all that it might be for you? So let me talk about just a couple of practicals, then we'll close here. The kids are going wild in the back, so let's close, right? Let's land the plane. Oh, my kids. All right. Um, one, we, we, we've got to read it with our entire lives, okay? Not just our minds. And that's scary, but, but it's actually really easy to compartmentalize it. It's really easy just to open up the book, to think about it, to consider what it might be, close the book, and then go on with the rest of your life. But you're meant to bring your full self to the scriptures. That's how it's meant to be. It'll have the... Otherwise, it'll have the same effect as your morning paper or your Twitter feed or whatever it is that you're just kind of swiping through. It'll have the same effect. It just goes in one ear, out the other. But you're meant to bring everything to it. You're meant to read it with your entire lives. Journal, pray, stop, pause, consider what is all of this saying to me right now, to my heart? Not just trying to get information, but to get it inside of you. Another one, read, read together. I've, I heard a pastor say once, January 1, hey, before you uh, decide what you're going to do with your Bible reading plan, decide who you're going to do it with. And I love that. There's this power. We have strength in numbers. There's power in doing these things together. God's word is not just meant to be into me and then, then it comes out, but it's meant to be a collective community where you draw together. You, you, you find strength together as you read God's word together. Another one. <clears throat> this one's a little more different, but no, learning to know yourself. Um, I was talking to my boy, Tyler, dentist, Tyler, Dr. Nivens. And um, he says a lot of the time when, when, when uh, patients come in, they say, hey, what's the best toothbrush for me to use? He's like, bro, I don't really care. The one that you use, right? Just brush your teeth, please. And you'll be good, right? And that's kind of true. You, you need to learn what, how, how do I experience God's word? If it is a relational book, do you not experience and have different relationships with different people? Is that not true for God's word with us then? That we, that we have different, all of us experience it differently. To be honest, the most frustrating thing in my Bible reading for the longest time was that I just tried to superimpose somebody else's practicals onto my life and I couldn't do it. 
I tried to do my three chapters a day and get the whole Bible done in a year, which is a really good practice and a really good thing to do that you, we, we should do. And I try to do it, but I, I couldn't do it, man. I'm like, this is, I'm not getting anything out of it. And, I, and I'm even learning myself that I, I'm like a verse or two, maybe four, maybe six verses a day, but I'm like one thought, like that's all I got. And I like to sit in it. That's how I relate to the scripture. Some of you, you're just like, give me all the content. That's, that's amazing. Learn yourself what, what works best for you. It's, it's like a diet or a workout plan or a toothbrush. What's the best one? The one you'll actually do, okay? Learning yourself. Another one, read, read slower. Learn to read slower. That's it. Just learn to read slower for transformation, not just for information. We fit that one. Another one, trust the spirit. Learning to trust the spirit in you and the spirit on the page. See, the Holy Spirit the same spirit that wrote the book, he lives inside of you. Can I say something? Preachers are amazing. It's great that we have, we have more content, more podcasts, more teaching than ever. And I love it. But it should be absolutely supplemental and secondary to your own relationship with God and to your own experience of the scriptures. There is nothing. There, it's great, right? When you, hear, when, you hear a, when you hear a sermon, you're like, oh, that spoke to me today. Can I say that, that pales in comparison to when you actually sense God's voice in the scriptures to you. There is nothing like it. If I say one thing today that you're like, oh, that kind of like that. It's literally, it's nothing. It's like a little nibble on a feast of when you experience God speaking to you. There is nothing like it. There is nothing like it. So trust that the Holy Spirit, he wants to speak to you. He wants to. The word is there and he's inside of you. Lastly, make it a habit. Make it a habit. Two things that are really helpful for me, have a time and a place that you just have it every single day. We have this thing called decision fatigue that we're just always making decisions, this thing, the next thing, this thing. Just take away the decision. Get a time, get a place where you just do it every single day. There's this author named Jerry Bridges who, he, he's like a serious guy, okay? He, he wrote a book on, on holiness. That's how you know. If you wrote a book on holiness, like you're a serious guy. I'll never write a book on holiness. Um, but also I have this, I have this sense with, with guys like that that I'm like, oh, they just wake up just ready to read the Bible, you know? Like they just love it. And I heard him in, a, in an interview once where he said, I wake up basically every single morning and I don't want to read. I wake up almost every morning and it's the last thing I want to do. But you just do it again and again and again. And can I just say, even as I was praying this morning, just do for one day. Oh, you know, a Bible, Bible in a year plan is just overwhelming sometimes. Just do, just do it one day. Do it today. Do it, some, like, do it the next day. Just wake up. All you got to say is, God, just give me strength to do it today. That's all you need. Make it a habit. Make it a habit. All right, now, now I'm actually closing. Now I'm actually landing the plane. Um, I was, I was thinking about this as we've, Kayla and I have been considering like our transition and worship team, if you want to come back up, I'm about to pray here in like 13 seconds, I promise. Um, but I was, see, I've been doing campus ministry for like the last five or six years. And I have, um, I have like three good, I have like three good illustrations that I use again and again and again and again. And it's like pretty easy. It's like all these guys are like, oh, that's amazing. I never heard that. And I'm like, yeah, say it like every week. So Nothing special, right? Like I, I just, I, that happens. I, I feel this like weight now. I'm like, well, now I'm going to be in the church and these guys are just going to be here every single week. <laughs> like I already used an illustration today that I've already used on you guys. And it's like, I've only preached like nine sermons. Like it's like, I'm like I don't have that much. Like, so I, I feel a little bit of, I feel weight. I feel a little pressure. I feel insecurity. And even as I'm praying this week, I'm like, oh God, thank, thank you that we are not a church that is built on good illustrations that we're not a church that's built on personality or great preaching, even though we, we want to be great communicators and great preachers, but we are a church that's built on the unsearchable riches of your word. That is word, it never comes back void. 
That as we just continue every single week to open up the book, it gets inside of us and it moves us and it transforms us. And as a church, that's who we wanna be. We wanna be a people who love the book. We wanna be a people of the book who are overflowing with God's word. That we're rooted, that we are Psalm 1 people. That it says that, that as we meditate on his word day and night, that he, that, he, that he deeply forms us, that he roots us, and that we can be a church who bears good fruit in and out of season. That's who we wanna be. So in a moment, I'm just gonna pray and I'm, I'm gonna ask that, that, that the Holy Spirit would give us a, a fresh hunger for his word. Um, so if you would, would you just, would you just, just in, a, in a posture of receiving, would you just open up your hands and... Holy Spirit, you, you, you wrote the book you invite us to, to, to take it in, to, to literally to eat the book, Jesus. You say that you are the bread of life. And it is maybe the only thing that as we eat, we get more and more hungry. So I ask right now, Holy Spirit, would you give our, our church, our community, a fresh hunger for your word? Would you impart just a fresh hunger for your word? Would we be a people who wake up even tomorrow morning just with this unfathomable, I just, I gotta read, I gotta get in the book. I gotta experience God in, in the Bible. Would you, would you help us to do that? We can't do it without you. A moment of inspiration, it'll fail. We've tried, we've tried on our own efforts, we've tried on our own energy, but God, we need you. We need you to energize us to fall in love with 